sharing. Got it. Got it. I don't know why, but every time it says setting up, meeting, blah, 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 and then it says like failed, but it seems to work. So I'm going to, yeah, just did it again, but I'm pretty sure we are live, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it says so. So we are live. It says so. <laughs> like the band live. We are. Hey, live. those guys. Yeah, you know them, Chad, very well. Uh, Founding yes, member. Yes, I do. Founding member. <laughs> it's a shambles right now, but that's okay. The heartbeat <laughs> of the band is fucking dislocated from it. Needs a needs a transplant <laughs> back in. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. So what's up, man? Fucking a lot of craziness going on, dude. A lot of craziness. Always. There's always a lot of craziness. But, you know, we're, it's 2024. It's an election year. The yeah. Dems are getting more and more fucking crazy with their rhetoric. Yeah. Biden's out there telling you MAGA is going to destroy democracy and all these all the MAGA supporters are going to destroy democracy. And it's like they're the most patriotic people that you fucking know of. Right. But they're the Nazis. I just I mean, I love how they turn around the fucking rhetoric and make it about like, like they basically broadcast what they are and what they're doing. It's just hilarious to me. It's I mean, who like wh- who which party is is trying to suppress like the the candidate that's going to run against them and get them fucking arrested and get them taken off ballots? Like which party's doing that? That's right. fascist Nazi bullshit. Right. The magas of the Nazis. Okay. Yeah. And then telling you they're not doing it. Like you're trying to remove. Right a fucking presidential nominee and an ex-president from ballots because you're scared of him, not because you're fucking, you know, you're, he's done all this, he's done all that. Like, they're trying to go after him for stuff he hasn't been convicted of. If that's not fucking Nazis, I don't know what the fuck is, dude. It's you're insane. Taking, you're trying to take a dude's name off the ballot that hasn't been convicted of anything? You should fucking go rot in hell. I'm sorry. Absolutely. 100%, but they've, they, they, they've dehumanized them and made them into this, you know, this figure that people hate and are scared of. And that's, that's what you do. And with fascism, you make a group of people or a person into this dehumanized thing that you can go, well, whatever you do to him is fine. Like, right. Whatever you do to those people is fine. Right. You know, it's, and that's what's crazy about it. But I look at it like if the shoe was on the other foot and this was happening to Biden and I'm a Trump supporter, I'm still not happy with that, dude. This is against our democracy. I'm sorry. And oh, I, absolutely not. Right. But why are why are they so complicit and, and and just able to go along with this? They don't realize that, listen, not for nothing, Trump was tried to impeach. He beat it. Biden is going to be impeached and he will be convicted of the fucking crimes him and his son did. Huh. So they're just opening up a floodgate for when that happens. I mean, you're trying to convict the former president for crimes he wasn't convicted of. Yeah, that's insane. Um, what I was going to say was that it's, you know, they get away with it because they've conditioned a whole population, half the country, with the media that they fucking basically control. Yeah. And the DOJ that they control and the FBI that they control that Trump is the, be- the worst man in the world. He's going to destroy our fucking country. He's going to yeah. destroy democracy. Which right. they effectively doing every fucking day, the Democrats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, I mean, this, uh, the FBI, which is basically the Scott, the, the, the uh, Gestapo for the fucking Dem- Dems at this point, just goes yeah. out and raids fucking people's houses. They got the DOJ prosecuting the president, fuck, prosecuting Jan- these January 6th people for like walking into the fucking building 
a right. mom and I just saw a story. A mom and the son were put in fucking jail for five years for walking into the building in public areas that they were allowed to. Granted, other yeah. people were in different areas that they shouldn't have been, but not them, from what I hear. Yeah, and meanwhile, 2020 fucking BLM and Antifa burnt down all these fucking cities. Nothing that's has happened to them. No, that's nothing allowed. has happened to them. That's cool. That's allowed. Come on, Chad. You're you, you're off base there. I mean. It's <laughs> and and breaking into stores, looting and setting shit on fire. That's okay. I still still I still see like on like the apps, the dating apps and stuff, like girls who support BLM. I'm like, are you fuck? I, did did you see? They're fucking fake. They are not a real organization. They fucking they have not helped any black people. Right. They took money, bought fucking bought mansions. Yeah. And they've given no money to the inner cities. They don't give a fuck about inner city black violence, black on black violence. They don't care. They don't talk about it. They don't say anything about it. The only time they fucking rear their ugly head is when a white cop accident, you know, shoots a black person or whatever the fuck it is, right. whatever fits their narrative. But they don't tell. They don't tell you anything about inner city black on black violence. Nothing. Right. Not a goddamn thing. They haven't donated a fucking dime to any like real, real things that could actually help black people. Right. They like, donated all their fucking money to Act Blue, which is a Democrat fucking fundraising organization. Great. Yeah. Hey. But okay. again, they could have taken those manch that that mansion money and and spent it on some inner cities and and tried to help out the communities. And, and Absolutely. Yeah. They did none of that. Well, and people still support them. It's like, oh, BLM's great. I've always said, as soon as I heard BLM Black Lives Matter, I was like, that's a great fucking name. Like, how can you like be against that? Right. But then when they started going, well, all lives matter. And they're like, that's racist. I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Isn't that crazy? It's <laughs> like the upside down world they create. It's like, yes, the good is bad and bad is good. And fucking it's just what? Because all lives matter. That's racist. But black lives matter. Isn't that's not racist. Oh, OK, sure. Yes. Got it. You're not belittling the black lives that matter. You're just saying that all lives matter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You it's got fucking be- logic. And the fact that, you know, they're creating a division between black lives, white lives, Asian lives. That's stupid, dude. That's what has got us here is that well, that's what they want to do. They want to create right. that division. It's a distraction from what they're fucking doing at the top of the elites trying to, like, stay in power and destroy the fucking country, basically. But how can I speak to you? And this is like, you know, it, it all makes sense. And then all of a sudden I speak to other friends that I find intelligent and they're just completely warped and don't see this point of view, like it, it to me, it doesn't even seem like a point of view. It just seems like it's the view. And if you don't like, if you don't, if you're not on board, you're just living in a fucking fantasy world. It, it's scary. I don't know. I, it, I, I have friends like that too. I have friends that I respect that are fucking smart, way smarter than me that right. went to Ivy league schools and graduated top of their classes. And they don't, they they're fucking liberal. And I'm just like, I mean, it's okay to be liberal, but, they're like, they support some of the far left bullshit. It's, right. It was okay to be fucking liberal, but now it's like been, ta- been taken over by this far left ideology that's just like ridiculous. They made the far it's a right. mind virus, as Joe Rogan and yes. fucking Elon Musk called it. It is a literal, literal liberal mind, like lefty fucking mind virus that has taken yeah. over people's fucking minds. It's nuts. Right. Whereas I feel like most people kind of lie in the middle, maybe lean a little left, maybe lean a little right. They have yeah. divided the party so much with the far right and far left. It's like you're fucking up shit's Creek without a paddle, man. 
Mm-hmm. I don't see how this ends like, like cool. I really don't, which is creepy. Um, yeah. Well, then you got the fucking border wide open too. Eight. What is it, eight million now? That's what's come in so far. Uh, no, according to my very liberal friend, like maybe a hundred thousand since Biden's. Day. <laughs> Well, yesterday, hundred thousand. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. From, from uh, the beginning of the year till now. Um, Jesus, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, dude. So we were talking briefly. I wanted to bring this up about just how fucking, um, just how fucking backwards everything is, man. Uh, and I want to talk a couple things. One, like Joe Rogan's way bigger than CNN, right? Like their best show gets like fifty thousand. Right. Yeah. He gets like 20 million per episode. But the difference is, is that even online, like they run CNN articles, they run fucking NBC articles. So even though the shows aren't being seen as much, the headline and what they're trying and their narrative is seen that much. It's out. Of course. Yeah, it's big tech is wrapped in with them. So Right. Right. And, And that's what people need to understand while... You know, when you're just reading headlines, that's all you're getting. You're not getting the full story. You need to dig deeper, and 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 that's it. You know what I'm saying? Hundred um, percent. But you you're not supposed to do your own research though, because that's conspiracy theory land. Right. Don't do your own research. Don't talk about. Don't don't read anything. <laughs> don't even just talk listen about to it. what they fucking put into your mind, and that's all there is. And don't even talk about what could be the other side. You know, that's that's wrong, too. Like, creepy there during fucking COVID, man. You couldn't even talk about, like, are masks working? Like, is the vax okay? Like, you couldn't talk about that shit, dude, without people being like, you're not a patriot. You're going to kill everybody. Oh, yeah. You're going to kill grandma. Like, whatever. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, Chad, the two heads of FDA that approved the jab or the vax, whatever the fuck you want to call it, now no longer work for the FDA and they work for Moderna. Isn't that fucking real? Go figure. Yeah. Doesn't that bring you back to like the Sackler family and whoever produ- whoever uh, okayed uh, their uh, Oxycontin and put it on the FDA label, then went and worked for fucking uh, Purdue? Like. Yeah. Come on, mm-hmm. bro. This shit is happening in a cycle and a cycle. Well, the FDA is is paid off by the big farmer. They they have been for years. FDA and uh yeah, it's it's friggin' nuts. All of them. And then they all and then and then they use the DOJ as their fucking as yeah. their bulldog too. I was just we are just telling you about that this guy I just saw on Rogan Brigham. Uh look him up here. Brigham something on Rogan. Just watch this whole edit episode, and he was talking about all this shit. Yeah, and bring, then, him, bring him Bueller. Yes, Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so he's he was talking about all the uh, the incest the incestual fucking relationship between big pharma, FDA, the media, big tech, right? Because they're the, the as we said earlier. Big Pharma is is they're only allowed to advertise in two countries in the whole fucking world, the United States and New Zealand. We don't need to talk about New Zealand. They don't even factor into the conversation. Right. The fact that Big Pharma is the largest advertiser on all the fucking media. On, oh, yeah. On most of fucking social media. Oh, and, just, and I mean, exactly. 
Yeah. So who's who's controlling what? And then at the top of those companies, those big pharma companies, you have Vanguard and, and what is it? Bank Street and Vanguard and BlackRock own yeah. all the fucking stock for all those companies. Yeah. It's crazy like that. This is the best system that the world has to offer. And it's completely fucked. I mean, completely. Well, I'm not I wouldn't say that I'm anti-capitalist, but it's being fucking uh co-opted into, into right. evil right i'm all for capitalism and all that yeah. there's got to be to what extent like you can't just be bending laws and rules to to venture to further your capital that's fucked up that's not capitalism in my eyes Go well, there's got to be more separation from yeah. oh, for politicians sure. you know like the fucking lobbying I mean, and I always say this, it comes down to term limits too. If you only have these people in fucking office for eight years, it's going to, I mean, you're going to, I hope, erase some of this shit going on. I mean, they have, do have eight years so you can get some of it going on, but you got to like campaign contributions, fucking these super PACs, such a bullshit. Cause what, as an individual, you're only allowed to give what, $2,500 to a politician, something like somebody's that. campaign. Yeah. As a super PAC, you can give unlimited money to that fucking. Right. And then it's, you have and it's fucking crazy. Yeah, you have that candidate under their under your belt at that and point. And lobbying needs to fucking be done. Like get rid of that bullshit. Like it's well, so nuts. Before I let in our next guest, which is a cool dude, Kevin Savo, uh, he was on briefly with his father, but I just wanted to bring this up for everybody out there who's um thinks we're conspiracy theorists. In the last <laughs> <laughs> in the last 40 years, uh only two Heads of the FDA have not gone on to work in industry, whether it's big pharma, big tech, whatever. So out of 40 years, only two have not. So that right there should tell you, you should not be able to work in, you know, a public position like that and then go into the private sector or, or, or you know, like if you're going to be, um, give your life as a public servant, then that's where you remain. That's what you chose. No, not go private after you make this shady fucking under the table deal and then go to the private sector and make a shit ton of money for that company. That right, improve their fucking drug or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. But on to cool things. We're going to welcome our next guest. You ready, Mr. Chad Gracie? I'm ready. Yes. yes. All gloom can stop. Uh, <laughs> It's sad, but you know we're talking about true shit. But Jesus, hey now, uh, Kevin, if you are there, say hello. I don't know if you are, um, but anyway, we'll just keep it moving until Kevin pops on. Um, I just got to text that real quick. Uh, alrighty then. But uh, yeah, man, have you been watching anything fun lately, rather than uh, news cycles and shit like that? I, I just watched David Chappelle's latest special. <laughs> How was it? It's good. I don't, it's not his best, in my opinion, but it's good. I mean, yeah. obviously, it's Dave Chappelle, so it's going to be good. But he starts off the fucking show with just the biggest fucking setup zinger. It's fucking hilarious. I love you've it. seen it. Have you seen it? I have not yet, but uh, but so, I will. I mean, I won't. It, whatever. It's it, You'll still laugh, but he goes through this whole fucking thing about meeting Jim Carrey. He got to go meet Jim Carrey when Jim Carrey was on the set of Man on the Moon, and Jim Carrey was full on. Uh, What's up, are. boys? Kevin's got the guns out. I love it. Can you guys hear or see us? Hello? Yeah, we got it. We yeah, got yeah. Can you hear us? The computer. 
Yeah. Now we can hear you. Yeah. There they are. You, you can hear us coming through the mics. We got you coming through the computer. We ju- we just did the most stressful last minute, last minute setup. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, if, Sorry, yeah, we can hear, hear you fine. Good. Yeah. If, if you have issues with it, uh, if you go up to that mute button and click that top pointer, you could should be able to pick where your sound is coming from. Um, oh, man, I'd love to be able to. I just tried to. This is like <laughs> Zoom with the doctor. Yeah. You know, Zoom was, you guys are hard conservatives, it sounds like. You know, Zoom was basically born out of COVID when people were afraid to go near each other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's it was, when it blew up, for sure. Yeah. I, I think Zoom is a product of fear-mongering COVID nuts, personally. But it's okay. It has other uses. I yeah. love... Go ahead, Chad. I'm sorry. Did it just happen that way, or were they uh, <laughs> they complicit in it? I think the people that invented COVID might have invented Zoom with Fauci. <laughs> See, that's what I'm thinking. We can get real conspiracy theory about that. Yeah. Possibly. Here's the hope for humanity is that you got two young men over here that seem to fucking have a clue of what's going on and not being just blindly led down this path we've been on, which is cool. cool. Yeah, we were in the middle of a movie during COVID. We were in the middle of like the last leg of the first movie we did, the opener. So nobody was more pissed than I was to find out that they told us a virus was going to kill all of us and we need to stay in the house and not work on a movie. Then we knew 100 people that survived it. And we were like, obviously, they lied to us. And then our business, more than any other business, is fearful of COVID. So we finally get back on set outside. We did an outdoor scene. And I was trying to hire whoever I could to come in because I think our original DP wouldn't do it because he was scared of COVID. Then we found another DP who was scared of COVID, but he showed up and then shows up and goes, why are there 15 people on the set? Because that's back when you were only supposed to be around like two people at a time and keep a six foot distance. And now I have a DP who's paid for the day out of my pocket talking about, well, I can't work on a set with 15 people. I'm like, it's a set. That's what they're here to work. That's why they're here. And he's like, well, there's, there's people everywhere. I said, yeah, I know. Run the fucking camera. Matter of fact, you're the farthest distance from everybody by product of the fact that you're the camera guy. You're all <laughs> right. the way over there. Right. That was horrible. Anything. It's like, can you imagine if you couldn't like go and make a record in the studio because COVID is going to get you? It's, it's like the same thing. It's like, when it impedes on your work. Oh, well, I mean, the whole touring industry got shut down. We had a whole fucking year of, of touring lined up in 2020. Yeah, you oh, had South no Africa shit. and everything. Yeah, yeah. we were supposed to go to uh, South Africa and Australia in 2020, and yeah, it's, I mean that all got taken, taken away, just gone, fucking nuts. And did you, would, would you guys made up for that? Did you guys make up for that the following year, like every band did? Or wow, well, that- no, we haven't. No, we didn't go back on tour, and then uh, you know it's been a little shakeup. So uh, a little shakeup, I call it. But yeah, so I mean, live started touring again with Almost- just Ed. End of and 21, maybe beginning of 22. 22. End of okay. 22. Yeah. Well, matter of fact, we saw the last tour you guys did right before COVID because there was the 2019 tour. Jones Beach. Right with Bush. Yeah, we caught the Jones Beach date. Nice. And it was like right after that. Just right around that because I think that was a late summer show. Yeah, so it was a few months. Yeah, that was late in summer. And then, yeah, I mean, we had three shows we did in February and March of uh, 2020. And then that's when the world shut down. Yeah, dude, okay. literally. Yo, so Chad, the, your Atlantic City uh, concert uh, for the Ultimate Tour with Bush, I was the most drunk I have ever been in my <laughs> life. I have Oh, no sweet. Been. Yeah, so it was at the Hard Rock, and yeah. you, you know, you go and you gamble, you drink for free. So I'm drinking a couple Jack on the rocks. Then you go into the venue, and you could buy for $15 
like a pint of Jack, dude. It was like a half. Oh, shit. Damn. It was like a half a bottle. It was, it was, so the cup's like this big, they fill it with ice and then just pour Jack into it. Then for $10, you could refill it. So, Jesus. Yeah. So of wow. course, refilling it by the end of the concert, I couldn't stand up straight. I was walking, leaning way back and then leaning way forward, but I couldn't actually stand up straight, dude. It was crazy. I've never been that fucking hammered in my life. Oh, I my. probably had alcohol poisoning, but did not yeah. get uh, taken care of. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but you guys put on a great show, man. <laughs> you could you could perceive the show, <laughs> believe it or not. So I blacked out like three quarters of the way through your set. So I remember three quarters of I don't remember the end. But That's all right. Bush comes on and they're loud as fuck, and they sounded they great. Were loud. They were so loud. And 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 the crowd was into it. And I'm hearing people like, "Oh God, now live's gonna come on. They're not gonna they're not gonna be able to do this." And then you guys came and killed it. And fucking the crowd was like, "Oh shit!" It was your crowd, but there was a couple people I heard talking shit. And then when you guys came on and rocked the world, they were like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> it was cool. Yeah, we were pretty good at that. Mm. We could then, we could stand toe to toe with anybody. Hell yeah, <laughs> that was a good oh, story. Uh, Sabos, talk to me about rerouting, right? That was, so you weren't filming that during COVID that you filmed after. Mm -hmm. No, we weren't. And everybody's in the room, by the way, dad, youngest Mark, we're just Hello, we're on one camera because we had to do the <laughs> last minute zoom setup. I'm so terrible with zoom. I love but it. No, uh, rerouting was shot over the summer ah. of 2023. So that's once we were out of far out of the weeds of COVID COVID we were working on uh, the opener, but that was like a three year process to make that film. Cause we made that with like eight grand out of my pocket basically. Wow. And I think we got a thousand dollars in crowdfunding, um, but that only basically funded like two scenes. So yeah. that's why it took two, three years. And that was one of the moments I realized how much it sucks to drag out a process two, three years, even if you're dedicated to it is yeah. like COVID hits. And you were thinking like, what the fuck else could go wrong? And there's like, oh, they're going to shut down the world and tell you you can't. Now they're telling you you can't make a movie. Like, at least I had the liberty to do it before. We just had lack of funds. And then COVID hit and that was rough. But what was really cool about the opener is I finished the big concert scene, which was the last scene to go after a three-year process of making the movie. Wow. In the time period in 2021, if you remember, because this shit really carried on into around 2022. So there was this oh, yeah. little brief period in summer 2021 where Joe Biden comes out and is like, OK, everybody can take their masks off and go back to regular life. And right. it lasted for about three weeks. Within that three weeks, everybody was so excited to get together. We got everybody together, which I would have fucking filmed in the heat of covid. I would have gone right. out and done a fucking movie week two of covid because that's how little I give a fuck about like the lies yeah. the government's try to ruin our fucking lives with. Um, but so, <laughs> but in that period, but in terms of getting a bunch of extras, cause that was the biggest problem. We had to shoot a concert scene. We had to fill a venue with around at least a hundred people. Wow. So it's all through COVID. I'm like, how am I going to do this? Then there was that brief, like three week period in summer of 2021 where Joe Biden's like, everybody could take the masks off. We did the scene. I think a couple of us got COVID, but since it's not that serious, we didn't die and everybody was fine. Um, and then we wrapped the fucking movie and I believe like a week later they came back out and they're like, oh, no, 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 COVID's back. COVID's back. And I'm like, whatever, at least the fucking thing is done. Like, thank God. Yeah. You got that brief window. Yeah. Oh, we, we were able to, we were able to use that first film, the opener that we self-funded 
as our resume material to achieve the budget that we got for this next film. So when he asked you about rerouting, we were able to pull investors in for rerouting from that film that we funded from working terrible day jobs. And that kind of springboarded us up to a position where now we're looking at another film eventually in the future that we can go a bigger budget on. So we're just slowly climbing our way up the ladder. And we did that first resume material film through all the BS of COVID. Fuck yeah. Resilient. Uh, persistence. I like it. Yeah. Sabos are resilient. Uh, what eats up the most money during these independent projects? Is it, is it hiring people? Is it equipment? Cause like, do you have your own cameras and stuff or is that stuff you have to rent for every project? How does this go? Yeah. I hear actually guys swap out. Cause I'll tell you right now. Sweet. Sorry. We only got one camera to work with. I'm gonna bring the youngest in. I love it. And I like that. Food. I like that. They hear me. Yes, yeah, we can. I'm off, yes, sir. I'm off Mark. I'm off Mike, but here's Mark. That's the youngest. What's going what on, guys? What um, I'd, I'd say the biggest thing that like eats up the budget is like we gotta film the film, we gotta feed the film crew. So what do they uh, call it? They call it crafties. Yeah. And um, the yeah, guy we had services. hired, the guy we had hired to uh get all the crafties, that's what they call it on set. Um, for the for all the employees that we had working on the set, um, was just spending way too much money. He was getting like Chinese food dishes for everybody. So like after like the first like five days, I was paying like out of pocket to feed the whole entire the whole Damn. entire crew. And I spent like six thousand dollars of my own money on just on food. Wow. And that's when Mark became an associate producer, because anybody that makes the film possible when it wouldn't have been possible otherwise is now a producer. And uh, we ran out of money for food with like four days to go and wow. he, had to, he had to do it out of his pocket. Yeah. Cause oh, it's wow. rough. I mean, you look at, uh, you look at a big budget and you're like, oh, okay, we're good. We're going to get to feed everybody. And then when you lose track of who's in charge of food and who the fuck ordered steak and you're like, we could have gotten, you know, pizzas or we could have made it cheaper. Yeah. Um, oh, sound too. Sound is usually, if you want good sound, um, your first couple of amateur products, the, the first couple of movies you do the tell sign that they're amateur is that you did your own sound sound yeah. is nothing to play with it's like having a studio engineer that doesn't know what the hell he's doing it's sure. when you do your own sound it is horrific so you got to put money towards a good sound guy because it's it's something you can't judge on location you right. know you try to grab headphones for two seconds and and you're like okay that sounds decent and then you get to the cutting room and you're like well that was entirely fucked and we can't hear anything yeah right. that's done yeah that sucks and the sound like this filming the sound separately from the video probably puts a kink in the editing and adds more time to that too. Right. Cause you got to sync them up and whatnot. Probably. Adds yes. More oh no. Sometimes you just have destroyed audio and you're like, well, that's a scene we tried. It was oh, a big wow. step up from the opener because in the opener, like we, we took, it took us five years to make that film. And um, over the time, like we were just kind of like getting all of our friends together and doing it ourselves. So this is the first time we had like an assistant director. We had somebody walking around with like a time watch on our computer, making sure we're, we're staying to time. Nice. And uh, when we did our first scene together, it was our on the opener. We were able to just run it until we got it. We would take as long as we needed on it. This time around, um, we had the assistant director like, yo, we got to hurry up and get this shot. And because all three of us were making the production, um, it we were all separate. And um, we couldn't study our lines together because we all I was doing one thing. Kevin was doing one thing. Rocky was doing one thing. So it took us a try to a couple tries to get like our first scene down together because we weren't able to study. So do, do you guys look at the Farley brothers like inspirations and like the, you want the Savo, the Savo brothers to be on Wait, that type of. Are those the brothers that did the Sandler flick? 
They are the ones that did, I think, the original Dumb and Dumber with Jim Carrey and uh, oh. something about Mary, I think. Something about yeah. Mary, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't even, to be honest with you, I didn't even know who they were. Yeah. As, as far as brothers, um, I didn't even think film. I think the Bee Gees, because there's three of us. <laughs> I, was yeah. I think we're more like, like Adam Sandler and his film crew, because he has all of his friends and family in every film, and you see reoccurring actors and stuff. Yeah. I think it's the same kind of thing with us. Yeah, that's how it is. Every movie is the three brothers, and then a, usually a portion of the family. Dad's usually in there somewhere as a cameo, and then all our friends. I love it, dude. And that's and I like your your vision on that for when you guys do make it to the big time that you're gonna bring your crew with you and, and put keep putting them in like Sandler does, which is well, we we gotta be able to do it our way and hopefully in the near future or late future with our own funding. Because sometimes I wonder if if it progressed, if they'd even like let us bring our friends. Because even like traditionally speaking, if we didn't have investors that believed in us, none of us would be. I'm the lead, uh, rocks the supporting role, marks the secondary supporting role. Uh, generally, anybody that is in the business, if they liked the film, if right. we didn't have the investors that we had that they wanted to be in the film and they believe in us and they wanted it to be our own product. Uh, generally. If y'all could stop with the off-camera shit, for Christ's sake. Sorry. I'm in the room with the whole family. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I lost my point of view again. Thanks, guys. Well, um, <laughs> but if you, guys are the, if you guys are the ones, like, I think every movie Sandler's in, it's like a Happy Gil or Gilmore Happy production or Happy Madison production, something like that. So if you guys have some, you know, role in the production... <clears throat> probably have some say on who you bring in who you don't i don't really know how it works I, yeah i'd love to be able to what i was trying to say was um so generally if it was somebody like from within within the business that liked our script they would replace all of us yeah uh, i was already and it's kind of funny that because we we do have some high-end producers on the executive producing side and the the thing you you know the thing about the whole thing that stallone had to battle into getting into movies which was like you're not like you're too uh muscular to be considered like a, a vulnerable character um i had to deal with all that shit too which is like why does the lead have muscles and i'm like because the character's based on me and they're right. like well he's got a love interest and he hates where he is in life and so he would ordinarily be like a like a little skinny guy so that that's believable that's muscle shaming I was going to say, so, so it's not, it's based on you for one. So you are that guy. Uh, it's funny yeah. they have ideals on what people could be. And I, for sure they do. I hear. Well, it's, it's racist now to go to the gym. You know that, right? <laughs> well, yeah, why? basically. We're all screwed, man. <laughs> well, you go, you I mean, you guys are generally conservative cats. So you, you conservatives more than anybody are pretty tapped into the, what they call the attack on masculinity. That's Absolutely. sort of a, a buzzword of its own right now. But th this was going on even back in the seventies, but mm -hmm. it, it's the one stereotype that nobody pushes against. Um, you know, they'll push against like every film has to have racial inclusion, gender inclusion, yeah. gay inclusion. But the one stereotype nobody's fighting is the one that nobody really knows about unless you're in film, which is if you're to believe that the lead in a film is vulnerable, is capable of love, is capable of feeling things and you're going to relate to them. The lead should not have muscles if it's a guy and the lead Perfect. female, the lead female should ideally have like no bigger than a cups. And the reason being, yeah, the reason being is like the the curvy big titty girl is the threat to the vulnerable lead female. She could never be vulnerable herself. And then like the dude with muscles is like a jock, a moron, a bully, 
Um, and that's been going on. That's been going on since the, the beginning of film. That was the whole reason, mm. like, you know, Rocky was supposed to be a pretty boy. Rocky wasn't supposed to be Sylvester Stallone. They wanted to go with somebody who was like Redford. Actually. Yeah, there was a, they wanted everybody, but him. some shit. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He held on. Does anyone know how that, that guy got the rights to Rocky? Does Irwin, whatever the fuck his name is. Oh, wow. You're tapped in with that. Sly himself. Just, I've seen a few things on it, like on just on Instagram and stuff and Sly talking about it. Like, how yeah, this guy the, owns the rights to Rocky, and yeah, that the producer of Rocky owns the rights to Rocky, and a producer never usually owns the rights to a film. The studio right. owns the rights to it. It kind of like you know the deal with like a when you're in a band or you're an artist, it's it looks freeing and it looks like you're on top of the world, but really like the record labels are like your boss and you're like the employee of the record label. I don't basically, know how much yeah. of that shit you experience personally. Oh yeah, they own the masters. They they basically control yeah. where the music can go i mean they you have some say in it but the record company owns the masters for life did you ever deal with you ever deal with those situations where it's like we have a 15 track album and the record label's like no you don't you got a 10 track album uh not necessarily that but we ran into situations where they especially like on a third record secret samadhi like they sent out the fucking the new owner of universal at that point and came to the studio and was trying to like tell us how to mix it and it was like the least creative person like, okay yeah take it easy buddy right um so it was uh i mean we yeah we've run into situations but not that specifically about the amount of tracks that you were kind of limited back in the day on cds how many tracks you could put on it anyway so it could be about an hour hour and ten we kind of had the same problem on set too. Like we had somebody bring like a friend that like didn't know much about film. And as we're trying to film is trying to critique like our scene. And like, did you frame the shots? It's like, what do you think we're doing out there right now? Yeah. We framed the shot. <laughs> no, we didn't frame a shot. We aimed the camera at the fucking ceiling and we're playing with our decks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, that's uh, by DP, right? Not a, uh, that's double penetration. What is the DP on set? <laughs> Oh, sorry, the director of photography, but our director of photography is also our cam operator, uh, Joe Geno Genovese. I never know how to say his name properly. Hey, very don't tiny. they always have like weird, obscure names, DPs? <laughs> uh, no, it's, no, it's just a very, very Italian name. I, I always forget how to pronounce it. I thought it. there was like this this thing where DPs like that have these weird, no, like, our, our camera, names. <laughs> our camera operator is also our DP, and he's a fucking beast. He's a nice. beast. We'd put him in trunks, hang him from ceilings. Nice. He would do it all with no complaints. I got a question for you, Kevin. How come you didn't have to have like permits or permission when when you took me on set? Everywhere you went as a dad, I was freaking out. Like, is it cool to be shooting here? Are the cops gonna come? And then finally, I just shut up, and uh, it was what? amazing to see. Good just question. go out and shoot and ask questions later, or, or <laughs> yeah, hope, exactly. hope nobody asks questions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's what I was going to say. If you're like, if I want to go to ShopRite and talk to people on camera and, and interview them as they're going in, I believe that's my right. So what would be the difference if you wanted to film a fucking scene outside of a place? There, There is no difference. For the longest time, he would do street interviews and in-person pranks. Uh, you can see that on his channel. Nice. Is it still called Sable Vlogs? Yeah. He would go do in-person pranks and they'd arrest him all the time. We would always have to go bail him out. Very wow. stressful for me. Yeah. He got arrested in a, in a fucking Domino's. Did anything stick? Or were you able to get out of those charges? Were you fighting that case no, for a while? I, I put on Facebook, like, I, I was know. like, hey, man, I'm dealing with some, like, legal trouble for a video I shot. And then one of my dad's friends, like, uh, was came to be my lawyer for free, and they dropped all the charges and stuff. Nice. <laughs> it's amazing what you can get away with with a little bit of money and a great lawyer, dude. You could fucking do so much <laughs> shit, dude. Case in point, there he is. 
Look what? at the shirt I'm wearing too. It's it's, it's kind of dark, but it's a secret Samani shirt. Very. Oh, I guess kind of see the mask. Oh. Yes, nice. Uh, so everybody supports my kids uh, through me, which is a beautiful thing, and they taking on life in their own. And a friend of mine's uh, husband's a lawyer and reached out to me. He's like, you know, if your son needs help, little did he know, like every other week, he's going to get another call and another call and another <laughs> call. But uh, yeah, Mark, Mark, uh, I, you got to swing the camera back to Mark. The one he did at the Domino's Pizza was awesome. It freaked me out, though. I'm always stressed out. Would you pull <laughs> off there? Well, what I did, I used to do pranks because uh, we were big in. The, I was big into the YouTube prank scene, like back in like 2010. So like, there's like these guys like Roman Atwood and stuff. Oh, I, oh, I looked up to, and um, I would go out and cause a scene out there for camera. But um, since I became Christian and became religious, I kind of uh, steered away from the pranks and stuff, and and you know making people look bad and stuff. So I, uh, I now I just go do street interviews and uh, like this year we went to uh, we went to New York City Times Square for New Year's Eve. And uh, we were just interviewing people on how they can be better humans and uh, and uh, stay closer to God in the new year and stuff. But tell them about the dominoes. But the dominoes one, I basically uh, dressed up as a dominoes worker. And I because Kevin used to work there. So I took his uniform right. and I walked back there and just at, and started working and, and making pizzas. <laughs> and then they called the police and then they arrested me. Putting his hands in the dough and shit. Yeah, cool. I, I knew he, he was into the pranks. And I used to I worked at a dominoes temporarily because I would take any job under the sun that I could to stay afloat while I was dumping my money in the movies. And uh, sure. when I quit, because who the fuck wants to work at a dominoes? Right. I uh, tossed him the uniform and I'm like, like, hey, if you ever want to do something with this, go for it. He walked in and just started making a pizza and <laughs> pretended that he thought he worked there. That's and, uh, <laughs> when they arrested him. When they arrested him, I think I went down there to collect a W-2 or something around tax season. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, you guys know it's just my brother fucking around. And uh, the manager was like, yeah, I told the owner, that's just Savo's brother. He likes to fuck around. Don't press charges. And uh, but the owner said, no, let's do it. And he wow. said it like really enthusiastically. Wow. I'm like, dude, you're fucked. <laughs> so did they detain you there or did, could you have left before the cops? No, got I, there? They, they detained me and gave me a summons to appear. And then I went home and. Yeah. No, I mean, did Rocky the employees, like, did you, could you have left before the cops arrived or did they. Well, the big, well, the problem out? was some, but there was a Staples next door and someone had stolen from Staples. So as I was walking out, a cop was walking in to ask some questions. <laughs> oh, shit. Ironically okay. enough. But the biggest problem with it was this was around like like after this, they were still wearing masks. So the problem was I went back there without a mask and started touching stuff. And they didn't. They, that they was really the big that. problem. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, but, um, no. a little bit of background of like how we got into film. Like, I don't know uh, when you guys knew that you wanted to do music. Like what age did you decide you wanted to do music? Uh, about 12, 13. 12, 13. Yeah. yeah. So like Kevin was like for some Wait, somehow where he was eighth grade already doing music. I think you're like 10. Yeah, we were 12 when we started the band. We were in eighth grade. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Kevin, Kevin mm. was just born with um with being oh. in in the film and he would always run around the house with a VHS camera. And uh he just was born with knowing his path. So uh, you know, when my parents got divorced, we were kind of stuck in this part of this apartment in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, we used to just all film together as kids and we'd make little YouTube videos. We had a channel called Live Rednecks, which is still out there. You can see a bunch of us doing crazy stuff, but we would make movie trailers without making the movie. And um, we yeah, I sent one to J-Ro. He saw it. Yeah. So we would just oh. post those and um, it, it carried on into our, like our later years. 
So I want to say that I I didn't send it to Chad, but to see the progression, because I think your dad said that you guys were like 15, 13 and 11, something like that during uh, the trailer that he sent me uh, to see the progression from that to rerouting is fucking phenomenal. How long, uh, uh, Steve, how long ago was that one that you sent me made uh, as opposed to like now, like how many years ago was that? Okay, kind of an action movie one. The head, twenty thirteen. So 10, 10 years, 10, 11 years. I think Mark is like killing people in it. He looks very young in it. So like, like eight or nine. Or, yeah, <laughs> his <laughs> voice was yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool progression, man. Yeah, no, that, those were fun. Special effects in it, where I, I believe I used it. I think it was an app where you could create an explosion at that kind yes. of. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I used that way back in the day, like with my first iPhone, I believe. Yeah, well, we were just kids, like, when our parents divorced, and we were stuck in this apartment complex, and there was no kids in our area, so all we really had was each other, and we were like, well, what are we going to do in this apartment? There's nothing to do, so we just started picking up a camera, and Kevin, even when I was, like, a like a baby toddler, Kevin used to, like, dress me up, and, like, uh, we'd do little movie scenes and stuff, and cool. carried on into our later years. Nothing's really changed, and we all just work together, and it's very few... We have a lot of um, uh, content creators we work with that will see us around. And even if like we're just at the corner store, and we're on the phone with each other. Every time we hang up, my dad lost a brother and he's always distilled into us that like like no matter what, if you guys are fighting, when you get off the phone before you see before you leave them, you say I love you because you never know when you'll see them again. That's beautiful, dude. And that, it's, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. That's powerful. And it's true. Uh, not to bring the show down, but my uh, brother-in-law just lost his mother, man, to cancer. Mm-hmm uh the end of last week rest in peace sorry to hear that thank you for that but it's so true you you need to tell your love your loved ones that you love them and don't end the day with the fight like let you know yeah you have to especially when you punch each other in the fucking head so often (laughs) that's the beauty of brotherhood right you could get a little physical and then come back and love each other like i got a fake tooth and Kevin's shoulders messed up from all the years of us fighting. Me and him affect each other up the most, and then nobody can take the middle child. He's the one that actually knows how to fight, and we only semi know how to fight. So Lock when we up. beat each other up, we oh, like shit. break things. You got some horrible. training, huh? Yeah. yeah. Although they both fought, so Mark started playing hockey with Rock in the first game. Someone went after Rocky, and Mark went after the biggest guy. And oh, Mark. And he felt bad about it because you know he's trying to like you know you know do the right thing spiritually. And I'm like, dude, it's hockey. You never apologize for that. You know how many guys were afraid of me that can totally kick my ass, but they saw me annihilate one guy. I had to keep that for years. You know, right, right. Well, it's it's like you you see a lot of bands out there that go on tours and stuff, and like sometimes like off camera you'll see online that like there's a lot of beef between them, and they only like are together when they're on stage because they have to be. And I'm, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. I know that like business can get in the way with, with stuff, but um, like, are you talking it, about live over there? No, Maybe. I was gonna say, don't come too close to a source subject. You know what I'm saying? Maybe Motley hey. Crue. Uh, yeah, maybe Motley Crue. We're talking about Motley Crue. The <laughs> bands that oh, it's, 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 it's prolific. There's all kinds up. of bands like that. Oh, t- <laughs> for sure. Hall and Oates fucking hate each other. They their last tour, they would arrive. In separate vehicles, in separate doors, come in separate sides of the building, meet on oh, stage, yeah. and then fucking leave that way. I can't believe they did that. Now they're in a big lawsuit together. Yeah, yeah. what I'm that's doing. horrible. But yeah, Hall and Oates, dude. You thought like you know the the they were like you thought they were brothers or some shit. Oh, like they hated the, each other for years. One of the few 
I mean, and Chad, maybe you could tell me other ones that you know personally, but honestly, the only band I can think of that I know and have met that are actually good friends and are not under contract to one another and the friendship seems like it holds the crew together is Def Leppard. I'll be honest with you, I can't think of anybody else, like any other big band that we grew up with that Rush. like, or, or Rush, yeah, Rush. I got I, Dave I Matthews Band on that list. As, Absolutely. Okay, Dave Matthews yeah. Band. Yeah, you too. Um, they all seem to get along pretty well. Yeah, but uh, just yeah. about most other bands I've come close to, oh, yeah. um, they all hate each other. There's only a few original members left, and if they got to come together, it's contractual. Right. Um, and, and but obviously, the biggest example of that has got to be Kiss. I mean, all the feud that went on in Kiss, but like they hold it yeah. together because they're so business minded. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, between Gene and Paul Stanley, yeah, they keep it together. They they just replace the guitar player and a drummer. <laughs> But no you problem. could do that too if you were wearing paint. Like nobody knows who the fuck they are without that shit. So like they Basically, could yeah. numbers, put on the same face, and oh, I don't know that. that uh, I got my mind blown that Bush is basically just Gavin Rosdale now. There's like no original members in that band but him. Yeah. And we, right before right before the tour that we did with him in '19, the the original drummer was still in the band in '18. Actually, we did a show with him in Mexico and Guadalajara. At a uh -huh. festival, and the the original drummer was there. His name is Robin. And I've always aspired to have either or, like I, I honestly, because I know how difficult things can get, especially working with family. Like, give me either or. Either we're all such good friends, we're all going to be good, or let's just get under contract. So when we're beating the shit out of each other, everybody still shows up for work. As long as yeah. as long as everything gets done. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it boils down to you start a band when you're young and you're basically fucking kids. I mean, we were definitely kids and. But even in your 20s, you're still kind of young and kids. And then you, if you become successful, you are growing as men, but you don't really fucking deal with each other as men. And that shit comes out later in life. And like, you know, you just, whatever it is, something sparks a, a divide. And then it's like, it's fucked from there. But hey, you I mean, Metallica was a great example of a band that fucking almost destroyed himself. But they, they did a whole, some kind of monster thing. And they brought in a therapist. That was crazy, and I, wasn't it? And I've said this multiple times. When we came back together in 16, I was like, we need band therapy right fucking now. Let's do it. No one else wanted to do it. And I was like, okay, this is going to be fun. It's going to end in fucking disaster, but let's uh, let's go for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like you said, Kevin, if you could you know, come together and business is business, even though everybody hates each other, or you love each other and business is business, as long as business is business and you're getting the job done, then I could see either way would work technically. But it's got to be the best way has to be when there's all love around and business is business. You know, I, I'm sure with you and your brothers, it's way more love than there is hate. Yeah, you have your physical stuff. You have your fucking, yeah. you hate each other. But I'm sure most of it is love, you know? Yeah, ab absolutely. But I, I've seen all of it. You know, the rerouting was the first time I got to work with people that weren't 80% of it is friends and family. And then we had the few actors that we hired traditionally through casting oh, and wow. then there were actors that producers brought on and recommended and 80 percent of it all love all friends and family but that was the first time i ever experienced actors that i didn't quite get along with and not that there was any like anger or feud but you just didn't click you weren't friendly with one another someone makes a snide comment here and there yeah and because we always did things the buddy way i remember that being very off-putting at first and then once the film is done 
producers or people behind the scenes going, oh, we'll never bring them back. And I'm going, no, you know what? We will bring them back. They did a great job. And it's the first time I had to mature into realizing we don't have to be friends. They showed up. They did a great job. As long as no one's throwing shit on the set, we don't got to be best friends. And just to put it in perspective too, like just like as tiring as like tour can be, um, we filmed this feature film uh, in eight days. And then we did like a second unit shoot, which was like a, a month or two later. And, um, yeah, you get very irritable on no sleep. Like there was like times where we'd probably like between shoots, we'd probably only sleep an hour, but legally the rest of the, the rest of the film crew, we have to give six hours of sleep. So um, it it was, it was hard. And then the other thing that's people who are real professional in film that are all in with how stressful that job is. And I'm sure it's not too different from music. The real, real professionals you can get into damn near a fist fight with. And as long as the film gets finished, you'll work on the next film together. As long as everybody is great at what they do and they're great at their job. Like, I mean, we, (laughs) we had so many blowouts with producers in between shoots and we're like, fuck, we'll never work from them. We'll never hear from them again. We'll never work together again. And then at the end of it all, everybody's friends. And it took me a minute to realize it, the real professionals like, no shit is going to get heated and you don't attribute it to the work. They don't make it personal. Right. Yeah, right. It's, right. yeah, it's just like before fucking showtime. Like if shit's going fucking haywire before sound check, you know, you got you to be on stage in, in an hour and everybody's fucking hyped and angry, whatever the fuck. But like the main thing is you got to get on with this performance. There's people waiting to see you. My yeah. favorite... Gotcha, Chad, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, like, I, I think the like road crews are deal with that on a daily basis, you know, on, on tour. Like they don't get along with everybody, but the show's the most important. And they fucking put all that shit aside to get the show on every yeah. night, you know? Yeah, I think it's, and then the people that once, you know, the show goes on and it went according to plan, the people that carry that bitterness with them after it's wrapped or after the tour is over or after the film is over, those are the people you don't have back. It's the people, it's the, it's the, it's the people that are like the fucking product got done the way we wanted to get, to get done. And there was some beef and everything and we're good. You know, those, those are the people that can really handle their shit. Cause it's tense. It was rare, but there's occasions where we had to fire people that just didn't get along. They just didn't gel with anybody and like truck truck drivers or just somebody like yeah. it, it rarely would come to us because you know we were whatever insulated isolated, insulated from all of it and but it occasionally was like okay this truck driver just pulled a knife on somebody we're like okay well oh, he's done jesus <laughs> Dude, he's my, done send him home <laughs> yeah see ya my favorite set blow up and i have to w- listen to it watch it at least once twice a year is christian bale blowing i knew up. you were gonna say that Dude, that is legendary, dude. I need it's so fucking funny how pissed he is. Like, it's like the full thing is like eight minutes of him fucking going nuts. I'm trying to do a scene. You're in my eye line. Blah 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 blah. You're walking around, yeah. dude, dude. Holy shit, that guy went nuts. But where it got crazy for me is he's like, I'm not shooting unless this guy's taken off the set. Like that seemed to be a bit much to it. Like, okay, the guy made a fucking mistake. Was it 30 mistakes? And then he lost it. It didn't seem like that to me. It just seemed like it was that one. And then Christian Bale went nuts, dude. A a funny story from our set is uh, our director came up here with uh, his kids and his dog and he, and the Airbnb he was staying at, what didn't allow animals. So my brother Rocky and his girlfriend had to take the dog and they took him to an Airbnb where it was like pet friendly and we're shooting a scene and it's like, I believe it was like a scene with Kevin and his on camera girlfriend. 
And um, I walk away and we walk over and we lost the director's dog. One of our actors <laughs> went into the house and the dog got out in New Haven, Connecticut. So oh, he's like all stressing out. We're trying to get through the scene. He's like, my dog's gone. He's like, Kevin, you're going to have to tell my kids that the wow. dog is gone. And I'm oh. the light. Every time there's a bad situation, I'm like the, the sense of humor. So I go up to him. I'm like, well, we could just buy another dog and spray paint. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I can eat the fuckers. No, honestly, I would you know. No, the whole yeah, honestly, exactly. the whole film process was a fucking disaster. Honestly, we we'd work for fourteen hours and then we're looking for a fucking dog for seven hours. I mean, it it was nuts. And the director killed me because he was like, "My wife's gonna freak out. She's you you have to be the one to tell her." And I'm like, "Dude, That's I'm like I'm though? I'm like yeah I'm like Larry David. I'm like you. I can't be the one to deliver bad news." He's like, "No, no, no. You have to do it." And we had just wrapped the scene. He hands me the phone, and his woman is hysterical. She's like, "Oh my the dog's name is Bob," and his woman's hysterical. She's like, "Is Bob gone?" I'm like. I'm like Larry David giving bad news. I'm like, yeah, Bob's gone. gone. He's gone. Yeah. And then we went and looked for the dog for like five hours. Did and you find we, it? We, yeah, we found the dog, but it took forever. And then we had to oh, look back on set the nice. next day. Wow. This is why our AD, we gave the AD the keys to our house and was like, you're going to have to pull everybody, physically pull everybody out of bed in the morning and like put coffee in their face because we'll shoot for six hours, look for a dog for seven hours. It, it's just nuts. Like, <laughs> That's wow. key though. I, I think I feel I feel like I need somebody to wake me up by throwing coffee in my face every day. That'd be that'd be a yeah. good way to make sure I got up. Yeah, I, sometimes you have to. I woke these guys up today and I took the day off to make sure they were on time for you. Oh, Kevin was with it, man. We we were texting back and forth throughout this whole thing. I wasn't I wasn't worried, but thank you. Hey, guys, he's lying. He's here just because he loves life. <laughs> <laughs> The right. funny thing yeah. is, is you're Longer. talking about the movie and I'm hearing all these stories and, and like I, I'm sitting there going, when did I become afraid of my son, Kevin? Because it's like me when I'm putting things together on a stage with the band, everyone stays away from me and I see myself and him. But I I truly stay out of their way. I was uh, one night I lent him a property for my day job and I was there till two o'clock in the morning. And uh, you know, I watched Mark and Kevin go back and forth on a, on a scene and uh so, you know, I, I start massaging Mark's shoulders. I'm like, you got this, man. You're fine. He goes, tell Kevin to remember his freaking lines. He wouldn't mess me up to so go rub his damn back. And I'm uh, like, let me get out of the way. Uh-oh. I have a question for uh, either Mark or Kevin or um, yeah, anybody who's acted. Um, when you're doing a romantic scene and you're making out with a chick, are you not like getting a boner? Like, how does that work <laughs> out? Because I feel like, you know, it's just natural progression for that to happen you know you're making out with somebody who's you're attracted to i no howard stern said that when he did the love scene in his movie that he was always aroused by a screen partner yeah i think he might be one of the few cats you'll actually hear say that most right. people will say that it's it's a little uncomfortable and in traditional filmmaking at least Hollywood filmmaking with unions and everything involved, they actually have what's called an intimacy coordinator. I don't know if this has always been a thing or if this was like born out of the me too era, but when we were doing the love scenes, everybody kept making jokes about how we don't have an intimacy coordinator. I don't know if the director always just used to refer to the actors and tell them how he wants it to go down, but today right. they will actually have somebody be like, your hand goes here, then it goes down her waist. And then you'll kiss here, but you won't kiss there because that's a breach of contract. I've not had oh. to deal with that yet. Wow. Right. But no, love scenes are are kind of like doing anything else. You pretend that you're really there and that you're really in the moment. Yeah. But no, it is not arousing. 
uh, I've in yet particular. To have, I've yet to have a love scene, but in the in the next movie, yeah, there's rumors of me having an on-camera girlfriend. I just want to do the casting for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, logistically, you just <laughs> logistically you just want it. You just want it to be correct. So even though we didn't have an intimacy coordinator, uh, I'm. I'm directing and then I have another director. So we had two directors on the film and we know how we want the scene to go down. So like one love scene, I, I kiss the girl and then I throw her over my shoulder and I like carry her in the house and kind of like a sexy come home to your woman. Can't wait to get in bed kind of way. Yeah. And all the focus is just on getting it logistically correct because it's like I got to pull her in. Then there's the kiss and then there's the action of throwing her over my shoulder. The one funny thing about making movies with your friends and family is I, it was a closed mouth kiss, but I actually scared the shit out of the actress when I pulled her in for the first kiss because I did it in a semi kind of like aggressive, like, you know, can't wait to get my woman in bed kind of way. Sure. And I told her that's how I was going to do it, but I think she thought it was going to be a little softer. It's still a closed mouth kiss, but the action of, I like pulled her in close to me Yeah. and her arm went up like, like she was like scared and it was like his, uh, and then everybody in the crew just laughed at me. And this is where if like you were actually a diva, like anybody else would have walked off the set. And I just yeah. like laughed it off and, and we kept going with it. But I've yeah, no, honestly, no. Most of the time you're just trying to make sure that it, it goes right. If if your screen partner allows you to feel into it, if it's a super intimate scene, she'll help create that energy with you before the cameras roll. And I had that experience on the first film. Where Man. she was like, where she was like, let's be a little bit more lovey, lovey dovey before the cameras roll so that it feels natural. And Makes if you sense. get that, that's great. If you have somebody that's like, I'm in character while we're doing the love scene. And when we're not in character, get the fuck out of my face. You yeah. respect that also. It's uh, it's it's the same thing. Let me ask you this. How deep does your acting go? Like, have you ever seen uh, Six Feet Under? Who's in Six Feet Under? Uh, the dude that's in Dexter, Michael C. Hall, I think. You seen Six Feet Under? I, I I've seen Dexter. Okay, so that dude who's Dexter, he plays um a brother who's closeted in in Six Feet. You guys should watch it. It's a great show. There's like five seasons. It's fucking really really good show. But he's gay as fuck during you know in the show, and I thought he was just a gay actor because of the scenes kind of got a little like much, dude. Where like I had to turn away. I'm like, oh my god, these dudes are butt fucking in front of me you know um but that's why how deep does your act like, could you play a role where you gotta like be with the dude and like could you make that look real if the money's right <laughs> yes good answer money changes lots lots of things. Uh, no to be honest with you no i'm not a, i'm i'm not a chameleon i yeah. try to play characters that are aspects of me and I can mm -hmm. step out of myself a little bit. Right. All actors are a little bit crazy. Thankfully, I'm not like of the craziest variety. Like most of them, most actors that are like bred in an acting school. Can you guys not talk off camera? Sorry. Most <laughs> actors that are like bred in nice. an acting school since they're a kid are very like odd and weird and usually oh. mean personalities. And that's why they can be really difficult to work with. Usually My craziness was that usually narcissists too. Usually, yeah. Um, no, definitely. I don't have the narcissistic angle because you actually have to put me in uh, 2000 theaters for me to believe I'm the shit. Until then, I'm not going to walk around like, hey, I've been made a couple of films that fucking only so many people give a fuck about. And that's what keeps me humble. But uh, my weirdness about 
stretches out to the fact that like I could jump into a scene at any moment. I always carry myself with a certain intensity, but I, I always play characters that are somewhat me kind of like the way Stallone does. That's how I write for myself because I write all my characters. Yeah. It would be really, really difficult for me to play a gay character because I'm so into women. I have no life experience for like, for like, like looking at a dude like that. Right. If you're making out with a dude on camera, like, and you, it seems like you're like, you have to like, to me personally, if, if you guys wrote a scene and were like, all right, John, you got to make out with this dude. I'd be like, I'll try it, but it's going to come across very bad. Cause I'm going to be like, you know, I'm not going to be into it. Like I'm going to fucking be kind of grossed out. You know what I'm saying? Not that yeah, I, I, I feel that I, I would do a comedy where I played like a gay character if it was like comedic and I didn't have to kiss nobody. Didn't Jake Gyllenhaal get some backlash for Brokeback Mountain? I mean, he might've got a little, but it actually, I think shot him to superstardom him. And yeah. Well, all of maybe, I don't know. All of Hollywood's kind of like half gay anyways. Right. So it's not really hard for them to like, they can like explore themselves in that way. And uh, no, I wouldn't be opposed to playing a gay character, but like if it was like a comedy and I didn't have to do the physical stuff, if it yeah. was, if you're talking about, you would talk about like broke back mountain, you need cats like the dudes that did it because right. Um, right. You, you have to put yourself in a, in a place where you believe what's happening when you're an actor. So if you can't take yourself seriously, believing that you're the act, the, the character that you're trying to be, Right, and you have no reference for it. That's where my acting limits end because I, I can't see myself as I don't know if I can see myself as like, let alone a gay character, like a right. fucking wizard, or right. even I, I tell people all the time I've been broke so long I couldn't imagine myself playing like a rich pompous asshole. I'm like, where right. where am I going to pull my life experience from? You know, in that respect, sure. And, and like uh, for some roles, like you would research certain things. So like if you're going to play a fighter or you know something like that, you would take some fighting classes or some MMA training or whatever. But like, if you're going to play that type of role, you probably have to embed yourself in that culture. And then, you know, it gets shady. <laughs> yeah. You always bring an aspect of real life to it. Like even when I do like the, the comedy action series where I'm save a hoe, I always treat like you were just talking about like, like violence on screen. Anytime there's like a fight that's about to break out. I, I bring, how I how I react to conflict into that, which yeah. is like if a fight's about to break out, there's always like a moment of like, fuck, all right, like you know it's gonna go down, but you you wish you didn't have to fight. Yeah, um, that's a little bit different from fucking Tom Cruise, who's also my height, and if he's about to get in a fight in a movie, he's like, all right, there's one of two ways it's gonna go down. I can fuck up you and your crew, or I can fuck up these guys, and it's like it, it's like no anticipation of the fact that you might actually lose the fight. Yeah, you're drunk. You know? not pumped you're fucking just calm cool collect and that's yeah i like i like it to be real like i wouldn't back right. down from a fight but i'm not gonna be thrilled that i have to fight and exactly. that's that's a little bit more realistic that it's like i'm not gonna back down but i'm also not gonna fucking even like i love expendables movies and jason statham movies but even even him stepping to six dudes with absolute confidence has never been my my favorite way of going about action that you're just such a goddamn professional that you don't think even up against six dudes you might get fucked up no you might get fucked up Oh, you yeah. should show that a little bit that you're not afraid to take on that fight, but not have the ultimate confidence. That, like, yeah, I could take on six dudes because I've been trained in martial arts. You got fucked up on the scene from Sabo. You went right to the hospital. Oh, and then that's the other thing. Every fight scene I do, I wind up in the hospital anyways. So. Yeah. Oh, and in the opener too, he actually, he was supposed to get a fake punch to the face. He actually got jawed. 
I get Ooh. I get the shit beat out of me in every movie. That was at Toad's place. Chad played there. That was in the dressing room oh, of yeah, Toad's, Toad's place. place. Yes. They, they, oh. uh, Brian lent us the room. I, I'm like, I need your help. And that was the scene in Toad's place. Very cool. Well, at least you got the punch to to look real because it was real. So that that kind of helps. I heard. Yeah, of- I, I have to. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't like disconnecting punches. And usually, I'm the only one that's willing to be hit. And it's my money, and I want to protect my investments. So I'm like, all right, fine, fucking hit me. Swing away. <laughs> there was just there was one bad night though when we did when we did save a hoe too. That that was bad the because. Shoulder. Yeah, when we did save a hoe too, that was bad because uh, I I took a real punch that I didn't feel until the next day. It hurt the next day, but on set I was like, okay, adrenaline's going, that's fine. But yeah. then they had to throw me through a table, and everybody mm-hmm. told me not to do it. But I'm like, I want something that's like a, a little bit more theatrical than just taking a punch to the face. So they threw me through the table, and my shoulder dislocated in oh. such an odd way that I couldn't put it back in. Fuck. And everybody thinks they know how to put a shoulder back in, so I'm like dying and they're like grabbing my arm they're trying to put it up here they're trying to put it there i'm like you're supposed Ugh. to do it like this and that wouldn't do it and if you let a joint hang out of its damn socket too it's long it's like a light stimulating pain that if you don't if you don't get that relocated it sort of it kind of oh. overstimulates you to the point where it's like a light stimulating pain where yeah. it, anyway i i don't know how to describe I it but i went unconscious and then I'm like yeah. unconscious and I'm leading the thing. So I'm the, I'm the director. Now the director's out and uh, I don't know what the fuck they did while I was unconscious. But by the time I woke up, it took me a minute to remember that I was on set and they were like, we're done, dude. We're wrapped. We're taking you to the hospital. The scene, which was the beauty of it. No, we did. We had to, once we didn't get to finish it until a week later because I'm fucking, I'm directing the fucking thing. And I basically went unconscious for like five hours. I think there's something like cool about like a creative who has to like, who gets injured. Like Tom Cruise did a scene where he's jumping to one building to another and he broke his foot and still ran off. And then Dave Grohl, when he fell off stage or something, he he hurt himself on stage, still finished the show with uh, actually did not finish the show, but he came back and did it in a chair. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, in the same set. Well, he went to the hospital. These guys probably know the story, but he came back and did the rest of the shows sitting in a chair with his leg. He had yeah, his orthopedic surgeon. That way. He yeah. had his orthopedic surgeon come out and sing. Didn't song. he borrow a chair from uh, Axel Rose when Axel broke his fucking ankle or something like that? Probably. This thing went all the way out to the center runway, which was was pretty badass. But uh, well, everybody's in a chair these days now, right? Axel Rose, Phil Collins, Peter Frampton. What's going on? Not Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger's fucking running around on stage doing backflips. Hey, God bless him, man. I, I I aspire to age that way. Hey, there was a scene too in rerouting incredible. where you cut your you had your finger in the door and they slammed the door and you kept filming. I only got lightly fucked up on rerouting. They were arresting me and it, the police were dragging me out of the car and they slammed my hand in the door and then uh, my shoulder went out on one action scene. I think that was about that though. I was pretty much okay. I, we got a little fucked up on rerouting. Rocky's girlfriend we had to throw her in a you know, throw her in a trunk. <laughs> And that was one take because they threw her in the trunk and her her leg caught like a piece of metal on the oh. trunk and gashed her. She's got oh. a permanent scar from that. Oh, shit. I think oh, everybody else was okay. Rocky's girl is the hot chick that's in the back that's like talking to the guy like, hey, are you, where are we going? This doesn't seem like the route. Yeah, that's Caroline Magnabolia, and she was also our Rocky. assistant director. And the dog crate, too, she was in. Yeah, she's our assistant director and producer, and she's a supporting character. She's great, because that was all her first time doing it, and she just absorbed it, because we had a different assistant director on the first shoot, and she just watched how she did it, and then we didn't have an AD for a second shoot, and she was the AD on the second shoot. So, yeah, I'm really proud of her for everything she does. 
Hell yeah. Putting yourself out there like that too is for the first time. I mean, you're saying that was her first acting role. Yeah. And yeah. she was, she was great. I think she just oh. played off of all of us. If you'll, it, and I'll send you a couple of scenes, but we try to be naturalistic. Yeah. We try not to be overly performative. Cause you notice how sitcom acting is different from movie acting. For sure. But even movie acting can be overly performative, but a sitcom is a prime example of, you know, you don't actually believe that anybody on Seinfeld talks the way they do, but you subconsciously you take it in. Yeah. But you subconsciously take it in and are still invested because you know, the kind of media you're consuming that it's basically like a stage show. Right. And that's that style of acting. Right. But we try to take it a step further even though certain film performances can be overly performative and everything is like pizzazz and it's on and it's like, look at me. And it's, you know, uh, Oh, what's the, the, the perfect snapping scene to go along with that. It's like, I gotta be on my toes hot where I need to be like, nice. But we try to just talk to each other the way people talk to each other. Like there's yeah. not a camera on us. Right. Which is a lot easier said than done. I mean, but you, you know, you guys nailed it, especially for, for her being her first acting role. I guess you just were able to get the vibe on the scene correct because, you know, everybody in there seems like legit as fuck. Like, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between that or some, you know, somebody else in a, a Tom Cruise movie. I mean, you know, it, I don't want to act like I'm blowing smoke up your ass, but it's a fucking, we watched it with on your dad's show and everybody's feedback that I got is just like, wow, that's a fucking independent film uh, because it comes across like it's, you know, Big, bigger budget and the acting is great, which you don't, I mean, I'm not going to say you don't get it in any independent film, but it's not often. Like a lot of times you'll watch them and be like, oh, you know, yeah, thank you. Kevin's always good with Kevin writes all the scripts. So he's always good with writing scripts based around his actors, uh, personalities and, and writing for his brothers comes pretty easily. Um, um, this is the first time that like I played a character who's cause I'm more of the rowdy rambunctious one. So I kind of played played more of a stiff this one, and I got tattoos <laughs> on me, and um, I had to go sit in the. I, I know Pete Davidson says when he does filming, he hates he wants to get rid of his tattoos because he hates sitting in the uh, the makeup chair. So right. I had to cover up all my tattoos because nerds don't really have tattoos, and it was it was a good time. I know everybody better than they know themselves, and that's how I write them in the movies sometimes. So like, he does, cool. he doesn't realize he comes off like such a worrywart when he complains about his problems, but I have had to listen to like ten thousand plus hours of it, and then I wrote ah. him a character. I wrote him a character that just like is always spilling his guts, and um, I wrote a really really funny scenario that's actually something that happened in my life, but I have him iterate it the way he would, nice. and um, and he did really really well with that. So you get real um kind of um psychoanalysis when you're writing characters for people because you're you're actually diving into their personality as you're writing the character for them which is kind of cool yeah i pay attention to people and i also try to be realistic about what they can pull off and Hooray. every yeah everybody's got a side of themselves that they're going to be able to show a little bit more comfortably or a little bit more naturally so i pay attention to people to try to observe what that might be and i try not to put anybody in a role that's too much or too little for them I love it. And I'm able to do that easily with my brothers and the close, talented friends that we have. I mean, everybody in it, everybody in the movie is talented as fuck. They they really, really are. I, I couldn't be more blessed um, to work with the people that I work with, for sure. Like everyone that just brings something really special to the table. Sorry, what's up, Chad? I've, said, I've heard that about a lot, of, a lot of actors, that they're great observers of people in general. Like they are very oh, yeah. good at, at observing 
people, or I guess you want to call, I don't know, like extended people watching, whatever, but they're good just observing people and picking up their traits or their, their, their ticks or whatever. And so, I mean, it makes sense what you're saying. People are the best people watchers people watching is the best. Like I'm not, I don't, (laughs) I don't do it often, but there's a time where like, I'll go into a place to eat by myself. I'm just sat up in a corner. I'm just watching this family just like completely implode at the table. And I'm like, this is fucking, this is cool right here. I'm about to watch dad get mad at mom and the kids fucking pulling, you know, the tablecloth off and shit. Like I, I, I get, I get funny with it. Hey, Rocky's got it. Rocky's got to step out. I'm gonna let him sit in my chair and say goodbye to you guys, and maybe hey, talk on, about Rocky. Red Pill Line. Yeah, good to see you guys as always. Um, while the two of the three of us are tied up, I got some work I got to handle for us, so I will be out. But yeah, enjoy the show, guys. Thank Great you. to see you. Thanks for thanks for being on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Nobody asked. It's okay. All right, later, guys. Later. Peace. Appreciate all That's your hard work. Keep it up. Keep it up. Uh, so when's the last time you guys went to a concert or, or, uh, an outdoor show or something like that? To be honest with you, I'm done going to concerts. <laughs> I I've seen everybody that I wanted to see and nice. we always have shit going on. Like right now it's hard to even make it through this podcast because everybody in the room is doing 12 things at once. Yeah. Ross got to go do stuff for our NFT project. We have to prep for our talk show, which goes live at seven o'clock. So we have to do a three hour prep for that. Oh, uh, we're in between writing different movies. And then usually summer is production time, which is when all the best concerts are coming around. Then everybody that comes to town, I've seen a million times. So I really, really don't like being dragged out of state and dad hates that because he wants to see as many bands as he could see sure. but i i'm kind of i'm kind of set i've seen everybody i want to see and also when it comes to rock and roll i'm kind of like a 50 year old man in the respect of there's there's no there's no good new rock right. and people hate that mindset because they're like no nah, it's out there you just got to look for it and i'm sorry i'm just very close-minded like i like i usually like the guys from the 80s and to be quite frank with you live is damn near the only band that i like from the 90s i'm really not into 90s like live to me is a unique sound and ed had a different voice from fucking everybody in the 90s which sure. close-minded as i am i'm gonna say that everybody had the same voice in the 90s it sounded like do you remember that scene from ted where he's like this is how everybody sounded in the 90s and he kind of does like a pearl pearl yeah, jam impression. Yes, exactly uh-huh. so that's that's one of the things that i loved about live they had like a very different sound from what as close-minded as it sounds a lot of 80s guys always said too they're like i don't know what the fuck happened in the 90s 80s was you know pizzazz and fun and sexy and 90s got like dreary and and dark and deep and because live never struck me that way that's why i love live so much don't you dare chad as a 90s band i mean okay i i gotta disagree just for one second here because i'll i listen to the 80s but it's fucking glitz and glam there's no grit fucking Rock stars are wearing neon fucking tights and, you know, hairs out to here. And it just seemed all fake and not real. Like uh, David Lee Roth fucking wish they all could be like, it's like, come on. I didn't say David Lee Roth. He's a hard guy to take seriously. (laughs) He's really a hard guy to take seriously. David Lee Roth seems nuts. He seems like nutty. Genuinely um, fucking crazy. Yes. Yeah. I've always been uh, team Sammy Hagar because he seems so normal. Yeah, I took Mark to a few shows. Yeah. Mark, didn't we go? Uh, we were at Virginia Beach and we saw live. It was like 110 degrees or something. Yeah, I remember. I don't know. I can't remember the venue, but I remember the first time I ever seen live was somewhere down south. Do you remember that show we went to? It was like 
Those are during my fuzzy years. <laughs> yeah, I I was so young. I don't remember, but I, I think I've seen them twice or three times, maybe. Yeah, probably. And then one was at Jones Beach. And then a few uh, months later, we had um, my dad's show at the Bijou Theater. And then um, Ed was in the crowd. So that was cool to see him at Jones Beach and then um, see him at our show, right? Yeah, no, that was cool. But I took Mark also uh, on the road a little bit with Shinedown. I, I, I'm kind of close with those guys, and I was just with them last Friday, actually. You've done shows with them, right, Chad? I think we've done one or two shows, maybe a festival Festivals, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere. I'm not a big festival fan. I don't know about... I'm not a big Shinedown fan. As nah. to, the, to them, to me, they're like as good as it gets for more recent bands. But I like that glitz and glamour, man. I like I like the eighties. The eighties made you feel good. The eighties, uh, uh, yeah. I'm I'm not making love to a Pearl Jam record. I'm not. <laughs> I got. I hear a lot of people say this, and I think fucking Creed ruined it for Pearl Jam because he's really in that register. Eddie Vedder could go all over the place. He's a lot of times in that register, but that motherfucker's got range, dude. I'm an asshole, man. I'm very close-minded when it comes to shit like this. I'd say Creed ruined it for Pearl Jam, and then Pearl Jam ruined it for the 90s. <laughs> I really I really do feel that way. But but look at what I'm saying. Like, You know how many live records make you feel like pumped up and make you feel good? It's not yeah. like a bunch of dreary shit, and there's a lot of that 90s stuff. Um introspective emo like it wasn't yeah but it was really emotional what they were yeah i guess listen you. i'm just i'm just being myself radio Alice and chain records don't make me feel good no, if it wasn't they, for the 90s i would never be in a, a musician because uh back in the day when my oldest brother was playing in bands if you didn't sound like robert plant or steven tyler you couldn't be in a cover band. So I felt bad for those singers. And then the 90s came around and we were one of the first to do Pearl Jam Nirvana type of stuff with the, the deeper voice singers. And yeah, and I think it opened up the doors for a lot of people. I'm sure. There's, there's only one newer band that I like it's called Royal Blood or English. I, I love Royal Blood. So yeah. Uh, That's the they, newest they, thing that I like. But, I uh, heard about them else. through uh, they did the uh, Entourage movie and there's the opening scene of uh, them on the on the boat and it's coming up the water and they got the that song. was them. Yeah, they got the song Figure It Out uh, playing and uh, oh, yeah. that's Royal Blood. Blue Change. That's Royal Blood. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw them. They were on I'd tour love of to Food see them live. John, what do you think of Twenty One Pilots? Do you like them? So I'm not familiar yeah. enough with them to say whether I like them or not. I it mean, blew me away. You probably saw play me a song and yeah, they were. A packed show with two guys on stage. I was blown away. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, the way I heard about 21 Pilots was, and I probably have heard their songs, but didn't associate with the name, but my viral security guard named Tom Robb, who worked with us in like 2000s and stuff, he he now owns his own security company, and they he does like Metallica, Robert Plant. Like his personal guy is Robert Plant, but he has a whole, you know, whole company, and, and they were doing a 21 Pilots arena tour. I'm like, these guys are doing fucking arenas like I've never even heard of. Them. They were going out to install out arena tour. That's, that's why I say I'm like an old man. Generally, anybody yeah. you're going to tell me are selling out arenas or selling big hit records. Well, I'm like, I'm well, like, who? Yeah, right. I'm, I'm, I'm like, who? Now I know who Twenty One Pilots are, but um, they blew up quick because I took Mark to see him at the Oakdale Theater, and next thing you know, they're doing Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Fact, good for them. The fact that Taylor Swift is the biggest touring act ever just shows you like the wrong direction music is going. Well, you know? also, and and then the other thing is there there really is something about the 80s and there's something about my dad's generation of entertainment where none of them went anywhere. None, really, most of them didn't go anywhere. Now, a lot of the 90s acts. They, what do you they, mean by that, Kev? 
What do you mean? What, like they didn't go like they just. Well, well, this is what's interesting about what we call relevancy in the States. Ah. Def Leppard sold out every arena you could think of this past year. Right. And they're considered irrelevant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Course. They're not right. considered a relevant band. Now, only right. in the fucking States with the way we determine what is hot and what is not. Right. Could you be fucking 60 selling out an arena, but you're not relevant because you don't have a big hit record? Right. Or, or Taylor Swift is the shit when right. you could be you've been selling out arenas your whole career and you're now 60 and you're still doing it. That doesn't connect to me. And from what I understand, and Chad, maybe you could tell me a little bit about this, too, because you've torn you've toured in Europe. From what I understand, Europe does not have that same attitude about about entertainment that like it doesn't matter if your peak was the 80s or the 90s. If you had big hit records, you go over to Europe. They're like, yeah, you're obviously still relevant. You you're, you guys are those guys. Whereas in the it's States, not just Europe, it's the whole rest of the world. Like you said, it's that is specific to the United and, States. Wait, and hold up, I don't know if you were going to say something. But and then the other thing it seems about uh, the rest of the world is bands aren't able to play go go deep into their catalog in the states. But when they get outside the states, they could play the B sides. They could they could play the lesser known hits, right? But in the states, there's that stereotype that's like, oh fuck, we got to do those same fucking six songs. That that's all the American audience will tolerate. Yeah, international audiences, they they're just so much more like, I don't know, into music in general. So that's why you can have a festival with like, you know, festivals in Europe are just like eclectic, like all these different fucking bands, like you've never like crazy European shit you've never heard of, rap, rock pop are all in the same bill that's pretty wild when you go over there dude yeah some this, of those festivals yeah this is just what i've noticed from observation but i even got a friend that i went to school with that plays drums in a band that nobody knows about but in europe they're in front of like fucking a hundred thousand people wow yeah, it, yeah that's amazing look at alter bridge alter bridge is huge outside look at david of david hasselhoff yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's huge in germany yeah <laughs> alter bridge yeah they Alter Bridge, like we we toured them and, and we were in Europe a couple of times and they were doing really well over there. I mean, I don't think they do crazy numbers here in the States, right? No, they play clubs here, or, you know, yeah. uh, like the Oakdale and stuff and not even the full theater. So it's just like when Iron Maiden would tour, they would love doing, you know, they, they at one point they didn't like playing the United States at all. And and I kind of understood after a while. And that's another reason I'm, I'm I don't go to see shows anymore is because seeing shows in the States, I'm, I'm not traveling outside the States to see a show. I'm, I'm not right. traveling outside of this state to see a show. I, I'm just I got too much going on. But um, I know I'm not going to get the 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 songs that I want to hear because most bands are waiting until their tour dates outside the States to right. revamp their set and do the B sides and do the shit that real music listeners love. And basically what I've come to understand is that music nerds are the real fans oh, and yeah. then casual listeners like no two songs from every band. Right. That's why I hate the radio. You know, I want to, if I want to ask the local radio station here, I'm like, when Neil Peart died, did you guys honor the legacy of a man that wrote 20 records by playing Tom Sawyer twice in the same hour? You're right. Like that, and, and this is like radio and whatever the kids think is hot is what determines a lot of times, like what these bands are going to go out and perform. Right. And then, what should be considered a true music fan is really like a music nerd. And what I've come to understand is like my dad and I can talk about every live record, every rush record, every Def Leppard record, like every record from every catalog of every band we love. And I didn't realize that that was kind of nerdier than it is what it means to be a true 
casual music listener because then go talk to somebody that says they like rush and all they know is tom sawyer or go right. talk to somebody that says they love Def leopard just because they know fucking pour some sugar on me yeah and then i learned that i'm a nerd i'm like oh fuck i'm a nerd well <laughs> I, I think i think just because you have a deep appreciation and, and feeling towards something the the stigmata is that you're a nerd but i don't think that's the case it's just you're passionate about certain things uh I'll give credit here, even though I shouldn't. Big Bang Theory kind of made the nerd no longer nerdy, which is it, all right. I'll give it to him for that. Um, you great know, writing on that show, though. Great writing. But have you ever heard them do the scenes without the laughing track, dude? You're like sitting there and you don't catch the laugh. Like, I didn't realize how much the laughing track cues you to f say that that's funny yeah no well shit, huh? it, it's popularized to be nerdy these days but everybody that's nerdy about something you know because the true definition of a nerd is just to be super enthusiastic about one given thing you geek they out can on. they can still only really geek out with their community Whereas then there's things that are more universally geeked out about like I don't know Marvel movies but generally like I'm a Def Leppard nerd. I can only talk about, you know, the record that came out after Hysteria with other Def Leppard nerds. With a casual music listener, they're like, yeah, I know the same three songs everybody else knows. Yeah, understood. Mm -hmm. um, gentlemen, you know how I do this. You guys were great guests. We're going to have you guys on again, um, whether it's uh, Rocky, Sabo, whether it's uh, Kevin, Steve, you know. Uh, who's the, what was your name? Mark? Mark, yes, sir. Mark, yeah, yeah. Uh, we were definitely going to have you guys on again. I just always like to leave the audience wanting more. So I always kind of abruptly end the conversation. Mm -hmm. So we do have you guys back. It's not like, oh, these guys again. No, they want to hear what the no, fuck. No, you're fine. Um, I want to say, dude, I'm, I'm uh, impressed by all the stuff you guys do. Uh, what is your live talk show that you have going on tonight? Why don't you tell the audience about that and maybe get some people to check it out? Oh, that's on our channel, Savo Streams. We just sort of... Uh dating slash analysis of how fucked up the youth is in our culture these days open <laughs> conversation Shit, i might check that out <laughs> yeah yeah you guys would i listen to a little bit of the beginning of the program like yeah you guys know how socially fucked up 20 year olds are so we, we, cool. we all kind Crazy. of sit around and uh we're like the self-aware ones that like our generation is fucked up and we sit around with everybody that that seems to think we're doing just fine and we kind of just have this open conversation where I'm like, did you guys notice that like in this age group, like we're all kind of socially fucked up and misled and everything we do doesn't really work because we don't really know how to do it. How do you guys feel about that? And sometimes <laughs> people are, sometimes people are confused or sometimes you get folks that are a little bit more on the same page as us. And they're like, yeah, I have noticed that like we've been really, really misled and that nothing that we, we do works. And it's this sort of uh, open forum conversation about it. And we do that seven o'clock Eastern time. Uh, every Tuesday night on our channel, Savo Streams. Savo Streams. I like that you're doing that because it's it's introspective, but it's it's also like you know people are living in their own bubbles. Whereas if you want to believe everything you're hearing from left or right, you could just get in an echo chamber and that's all you hear. So it's good that you're shining light on that stuff and trying to bring awareness because that's the worst thing, man. When you know people are wrong for so long that they can't admit it and then come back and say okay well i fucked up there this is actually how it should have went like we were talking earlier people taking the fourth booster like are you fucking crazy dude like you're just willing to uh, kill yourself because you've been wrong for this long like come on so i like yeah. doing that yeah it's tough real quick before you let me go since you yeah. guys are such you guys sound like pretty hardcore conservatives so do you guys know who jesse lee peterson is 
Jesse Lee Peterson. I expect you to. He's the the funny old black pastor that really, really bugs people. Oh, yeah, I love that fucking guy, dude. He fucking kills people. That's awesome. I have yeah, to, I love yeah. that guy. He's a real he's a real good friend of the show, and we did a movie with him last year. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll chat. I'll send you my episode with him. He's a Please. real do you know what the funniest thing about these flashy, hardcore, gotcha moment conservatives and shit? Some yeah. of them are like the most down to earth, spiritually rooted people in the world. And that dude has pissed off everybody that's ever been on his talk show. And, and um, you know, a portion of the black community hates him for what he says. And the gay community hates him for what he says. Everybody like mad at that dude just for being humorous and talking about how fucked up we are. And it's really from a point of stoicism and Christianity, really, because he's a preacher. And we did two days on a movie with him. And that dude just comes to town, just talks to us like we're, you know, like like a grandfather talking to kids our age, just like That's you guys great. need to be good to each other. You need to forgive your parents for anything they ever fucked up. You need to learn how to forgive and Hell yeah. you need to learn how to live life and and let life live. And it's just it's amazing sometimes some of the shit that goes on behind the scenes that you'd be surprised that some of the flashier characters are like it all comes from a moral place sometimes. Hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I do like let's, let's leave it there. I'm gonna check out this Jesse Lee Peterson fella. You will, you will have a field day. Oh, you'll love him, dude. He's Rock great. on. Rock he on. He tears people up. <laughs> I love it. I, all in a very fun. calm way. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Calm, very calm and collect. All right, gentlemen, anything you want to tell the audience before we let you go? Nah, just that I'm going to follow chat on Instagram. You promote. Yeah. Cool. Everybody I followed follow, you. <laughs> everybody follow chat on Instagram. And please go check out everything the Sable Brothers do. Uh, I'm, I'm really into it. Uh, again, these guys are going to be longtime guests. Uh, anybody want to plug anything before they go? Um, you can check out my YouTube channel. It's any of the behind the scenes footage of, uh, what the Savo brothers are up to behind the scenes footage of bloopers and, uh, you know, movie premieres, everything. It's uh, all vlog oriented. So you guys get to see the behind the scenes of the Savos. True. And what's that channel called? Savo vlogs. Savo vlogs. You heard it here on the gracious too. Thank you so much. Savo brothers and father. Be good. Thank you for having us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Take care. Take care, boys. Yes, sir. All right, Chad. That was another fun one we had there. I I mean, we could we could go all day with those guys. They're just they're just cool. I love the younger generation. Uh, you know, seeing the problems that we have and and trying to work it out and stuff like that. I do want to say one thing while um, you know, because the word conservative has been thrown around here. I really don't have an affiliation to anybody. I just have an affiliation to 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 fucking what's wrong and what's right. And it just seems that, you know, my being lied to and and trying to put somebody in jail for shit just makes me not I'm not for that. So right. um where whereas I'm all for abortion. I'm all for but so I'm not conservative, I'm not democrat. I'm I'm literally run of the road middle guy and I Yeah. You know, I agree with you. I'm I'm kind of mid mid groove too. I'm, I mean, I'd say I'm kind of politically conservative, but socially liberal. I mean, like, yeah, you, know, you want to be gay, you want to be trans, like, go ahead, go right. all, all for that. Um, you know, like, so yeah. yeah. Anyway, I get you. Like, if this was if this was uh, you know from Kennedy's time to Clinton, I'm a lefty. I'm a Democrat. You know what I'm saying? But now it's gotten a little wonky where I I don't feel comfortable saying I'm a Democrat because you guys are fucking nuts. Uh, pardon my French. Uh, but, uh, thank you guys for watching. Go check us out everywhere. We are at the gracious Two. Uh, we will be back again live next week. This was show 18, Chad. 18. Love it. Hey. Awesome.
I'm gonna Thanks, try everyone. Take care. Yes, take care. And... <laughs>